God, we thank you. God, we thank you that we are chosen, that we are not forsaken, that you do have a place for us. God, we thank you that you've done everything so that we must only believe in you and have eternal life with you. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for for being everything that we need and more. God, we thank you that you are unknowable um, in just who you are, that we can strive and try all our life and we will never fully know who you are in this life. God, thank you for your enormity. Thank you for your complexity. Thank you for your simple truth that you just love us and you call us your children. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Take a seat for a moment. Welcome to church. Welcome if you're joining with us online this morning. It's lovely to have you joining here. While I'm talking to you, you can be taking out one of these Connect cards, which is in the back of the seat in front of you. Most of you will even have a pen this week, so that's exciting. And please don't let this opportunity pass to have a pen and something to write on. Um, So write your contact details on there. Pop it in the offering buckets when they come around. You have to write fast because the offering buckets are about to come round. Um, I was just thinking too, um, we don't talk about the offering a lot, um, our tithes and offerings, we don't talk about that much, um, but sort of nearing the end of the year, maybe it's a good time to take stock of, of what you normally give. Um, we, a lot of us uh, do direct credit, so we don't even sort of notice putting something into the bucket as it comes around, but maybe just, you know, do an annual check, maybe something's changed in your employment during the year. Um, and you might like to adjust what you normally give. So, um, yeah, just think about that. Anyway, the buckets are coming round, so scribble on your thing quickly and pop it in. That would be great. And by thing, I mean connect card, clearly. Um, so you can be checking in on your Church Centre app as well while I'm talking to you. So you can pop out your device. If you don't have the Church Centre app, you really need to get that because everything about church life is on there. It will tell you all about events and things. And you can also just check in to say that you were here. Um, some things coming up, some things in your newsletter. So hopefully you get the newsletter online. If you don't, please let us know. Um, because it means that we don't have have you tagged correctly or we don't have your information. But um, we spend a lot of time <laughs> on the newsletter, so we'd love it if you read it. Um, but anyway, some things to highlight. Our reverse advent calendar boxes are starting to come in thick and fast, which is great. I think there are two boxes left out there, one made up already, one not made up already. So you can grab one of those today if you haven't done that already. Um, The boxes need to be back by the 11th of December. And um, as we talked about once before, no-name things have no place in the box, right? Um, I'm not saying no-name things don't have a place. They do have a place. It's just not in that box. Um, So uh, make sure you bring your beautiful box of blessing back by the 11th of December. Um, Carol's is on the 18th of December, uh, hopefully out on the lawn in the glorious warm sun and not too windy, not too hot, you know, we're not too particular. But let's not have a rain event this year, that's what I'm saying. Anyway, um, so the 18th of December, we have a sign-up sheet in the foyer there for um, if you would like to or are able to help um, help run that. We've got some activities, um, we've got some setup that needs to happen, so pop your name down on there and we will allocate you a task. Don't miss out. It's a lot of fun setting up for stuff like that. It's not boring, it's fun, so come along. 
Uh, men's breakfast is on this coming Saturday. So again, there's the sign-up sheet at the info desk or you can click on the helpful little um, link in the newsletter to sign up for that. So it's men's health, let's talk about it. Uh, we have a mental health nurse and a GP and a diabetic educator coming along to talk about all men's issues. So do not miss that opportunity. $5, breakfast and all of that good stuff to talk about. All right. Everything else you need to know about church life is in your newsletter, so please read it. Get your church centre app, look through all the events on there. It can sign up for all sorts of things there. Um, just a thought that I had. Uh, a lot of us um, have cares and worries and burdens and illness and anxiety. You know, maybe you're anxious about Christmas this year for some reason and we're approaching that, that season and you can see it coming and you know you're getting anxious about it. Whatever it is, a lot of us have anxious moments and problems in our life. And it says in the Bible to cast all your cares on God because he cares for you. Um, it says that in 1 Peter 5, 7 and also in Psalm 55 it says that. But look it up in the Passion Translation in, in 1 Peter 5, 7 and it will just bring that to life for you, that scripture. Um, but why don't we do that? I was just thinking, why, why do we sort of go, eh, sort of, you know, I've got this, you know, I don't, I don't bother God with it. I, I think it's because we think that that is going to be a burden for him. Like we don't want to bother, we don't like to bother people, do we? And um, we don't want to bother God with our things, but he wants you to, he's asking you, he's telling you to. And I think sometimes why we don't is because we think God is like a people, like a big people maybe, but a people, and that he can't manage all of our things all at the same time. But he isn't a big people. He is God. He is just unknowable. I think St. Augustine said something like, if you understand God, it's not God you've understood. Um, so let's kind of put aside what we think we know about God and what he's capable of and cast all of our cares onto him, our worries, our health, our anxiety and cast it all onto him. It's not too much for him, I promise you. It won't, it won't beat him. You can't beat him and it won't be a burden to him. He wants to take this from you. He's died for us. He can take our, our um, cares on himself. So I just encourage you in the next uh, time of worship, that we have just to really spend that time and be honest with God cast your cares on him because he wants you to anyway um let's stand and we'll pray we'll cast some of our cares on him right now because he wants us to God we thank you for being the God that we need God we thank you that you are everything that we need and more and that you ask us to share our life with you, to share everything about our life with you, not just the good parts, but the bad parts too, the challenging parts, the parts where we struggle, the parts where uh, we don't know what to do, the parts where we think we can't be healed, the, the parts where we think uh, that something is too bad, it's beyond you, it's too heavy for you to carry. God, I pray that you enlarge our understanding of you such that we can give our cares to you, all of them. God, we know that there are people who are struggling uh, right now with health issues that are enormous, people that are approaching Christmas with anxiety and 
uh, a sense of dread maybe because of everything that this season isn't for them. God, help us to know you. Help us to spend time daily getting to know you, to know who you are and how you really feel about us, how much you really love us, to the very depths of us, to the dark places too. God, thank you that you are the God of the miraculous. You're the the God of the extraordinary. You can cause people to walk in this door for the first time by themselves to seek you. God, thank you for calling us to be your family in this place where we can support and encourage one another, where we can hold one another up before you and ask you for your blessing to take these cares away. God, we thank you for uh, your presence with us right now, for that sweet sense of your Holy Spirit here with us this morning. And we look forward, we, we give you um, just free reign with us this morning, God. We look forward to everything that you will do in us and through us, in your precious name. Amen. And now you have five minutes to mingle. And the kids can go out. Well, good morning. I love that we have a friendly church. I hope you met someone new then. Hands up if you just met someone new for the first time. Very good. Hands up if you didn't talk to anyone. No? All right. If you're like me, an introvert, sometimes a time like that can be quite full on. Uh, But if you're an extrovert as apparently a lot of us are, because it was very chatty this morning. Uh, That's not long enough. And so, what I invite you to do is, after the service, to stick around and continue that conversation. Uh, Meet someone new. There's plenty of new people around uh, for you to get to know and for them to get to know you. Fantastic. All the kids are checked in. Got just the quiet adults left. Uh, We're going to be in Matthew 7 in a few moments' time, but I thought I'd give you a bit of an update on a few things. One being, um, if you remember, a couple of weeks back, we took up a special offering uh, for our friends in the Philippines, uh, particularly Annie and Jasmine, who have had, uh, both had babies, both had some health concerns with their babies, and from my understanding, over $2,500 was brought in, which is a fantastic effort. Thank you so much. Um, Yeah, you can clap. Give God praise for that. Uh, which has enabled Jasmine to be back home and with her baby um, and all her bills are covered. Her bills were quite, uh, quite small uh, compared to Annie's and we've managed to cover um, about half of Annie's bill so far. Um, Annie's baby's had a lot, of, a lot more complications and a, a lot more con- um, ongoing needs. So um, we've been able to sort of cover half her bill. So if you still feel it in your heart to contribute to, towards that, I'm sure that um, every gift and donation towards Annie and her child uh, would be greatly appreciated. Um, but we can keep praying for them um, either way because uh, they're not out of the woods yet uh, and they need a lot of ongoing support and a lot of prayer. So, um, And if you don't know Annie, you don't know Jasmine, you don't know anything about the Philippines, stay tuned because we're planning in the works uh, a trip to the Philippines for the first time in four years next year, um, and we're just going to work out the details of that, and then we'll, we'll let you know, and you might have the opportunity to, to go across and, 
um, and meet some of our partner churches over there, uh, and it'll be a fantastic time together. Also, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we had a members meeting, and we welcomed Neil, um, Graham and Denise into membership, Brock Thomas into membership. We approved our 2023 budget, uh, and talked about all the, the finance stuff, and there's documents out there for the, um, all the financial reports. In case you missed that members' meeting, or you're like, oh, I didn't know that happened. Never fear, it was approved without your consent. Or... <laughs> but just means next time, you can be part of the conversation and, and be a part of that decision-making process. Uh, it's just fantastic. Uh, and like Jackie mentioned, it's a great time, uh, whenever we have our members' meeting and talk about budgets, just to rethink and recommit our, our own financial um, contributions to the church, you know, we, we depend on our tithes and offerings to keep things running, to keep ministries going, and um, we've, we've got another faith-filled budget for next year uh, to see great things happen through Sale, through Locksport, through Yarram, uh, and, and the whole region, and so we're believing that God will use us uh, and through us uh, be able to provide for all the, all the needs and all the opportunities that arise, uh, so please check all that out. Um, and, of course, next week is December. Can you believe? December. And so in December, if you are a Locksport or Yarram attender and you're online this morning or you're in the room, remember the first and second Sundays we're meeting in Locksport and Yarram. And then the third Sunday is our Carols on the Lawn, um, which is a nighttime thing, uh, which we invite you to, to participate in all together here. And then, of course, Christmas Day. Falls on a Sunday this year, so that's convenient for, for us because we don't have to think about remembering to go to church because we always are in church on a Sunday, aren't we? Every Sunday. Some of us are. Uh, and then on New Year's Day, we have a, a Sabbath, we have a rest, and we're back together on the 8th. Anyway, all the details, I should have brought a little flyer up in front of you on the clip. There's a flyer, tells you all the dates, all the times, everything is coming up. Flick that off, take it home, stick it on your fridge give it to someone. If you've got a Connect card and you didn't get in the bucket, hand it into the coffee team after the service. They'll love to take it. All right, week seven, our final week of On the Mount. Have you enjoyed the series so far? It's good. It's good material, isn't it? Uh, when we look at the, the Sermon of Jesus, which um, if you remember back to week one, we talked about if you read the Sermon of Jesus through Matthew 5, 7, it'll take you about 10 minutes. We've taken seven weeks of 30 to 40 minutes um, over seven weeks, just to to go over what he said. Um, make of that what you will. Uh, and so we've been talking about this idea of Jesus is really after our hearts. And we're going to see that just exclamation point this morning, that he is really after our hearts. Uh, when we look at the Sermon on the Mount and we begin to read Matthew 5 and Jesus starts talking about murder and adultery and divorce and lying... And, um, and turning the other cheek and all these things, it's quite evident that he's not, he's not after our behaviour. He's not after us working out where is the line, but he's after our hearts. He wants us to run towards him. And so we've been repeating this idea every week, not what can I get away with, but what can I run away from and whom am I running towards? Who am I running towards? God is after our hearts, not our performance. He doesn't care if we're praying well with all the fancy words. He cares for relationship. He doesn't care if we're keeping the law to, 
all the requirements. He wants our motivations. He wants our hearts. And so let's read this morning's scripture and uh, we're going to see that um, even more so. Matthew 7, there's some well-known little passages in here. Um, 13 to 29. We're going to get through it all. It says this, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognise them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so you'll recognise them by their fruit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Drive out demons in your name and do, miracle, do many miracles in your name. Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching like one who had authority, not like their scribes. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this word and we thank you for the way you can speak directly to our hearts, directly to our motivations, and God, you draw us in towards yourself through that. And God, we pray that you would do that again this morning, that you would draw us close to you, that as we hear these words and as we understand what you're saying to us, God, that it would motivate us towards you, not away. And God, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I love sports. I don't know if uh, anyone's uh, into sports, but one thing I find with uh, different sports is they're obviously very different. There's no consistency across them. But um, has anyone been watching the World Cup, the soccer? Yeah, fantastic game last night. Um, spoiler alert, Australia won. Well done. Um, but one thing with soccer is it goes for a long time. It's a long t- And I think it's maybe not a popular sport in Australia because it's quite simple. Maybe we're a bit more like, we need a bit more things happening. Um, just kicking a ball around, and then sometimes at the end it's zero, zero, and they just ran around on the grass for who knows how long, two hours, um, hurting themselves just for no result. And I find it interesting that some sports are quite happy with a draw, and some sports are not happy. So I I love the NBA as well, and there are, in the regular NBA season, each team plays 82 games. There's 30 teams in the NBA, 82 games between like October and um, March or April is when the season finishes. So they're playing every second or third day, every team. And so it's, you can't watch the whole NBA season. You couldn't watch every game unless you didn't sleep, eat or work, didn't do anything else. You might be able to get through every game. 
But the NBA is not content on draws. Basketball, if, there's a, if the scores are tied, they'll just play overtime. And they'll keep playing overtime until one team wins. Same with tennis. Tennis, um, you don't have a draw in tennis, do you? AFL, you can have a draw. I just find it interesting that some sports go, yeah, we're, we're okay with a draw. And some, not so much. I think as Christians and as human beings, we like the idea of there being a neutral position, a draw. That when Jesus says these things like a narrow gate and a wide gate, we were like, well, surely there's just a middle road. Like, surely we can just straddle the fence of those two roads. Why does he have to be so definitive? And Jesus, through these, this is like his conclusion. He's sort of like crescendoing to this the whole idea of what he's been talking about. He says there's two options. There's two options. There's no third option. There's no neutral position. There's no draw. There's two roads where he talks about. There's two types of teachers. There's two types of ways of living. And there's two foundations. And he builds on these ideas. And we're going to see that. It's, and it's a candle counter-cultural way to think like this, to say there's only two options, because it excludes so many other options. But this is what Jesus says. And it was brutal in his culture too, because in his time and his day, there were many gods and many paths. And for Jesus to be so exclusive and say, this is the way to life, and this is the way to destruction. There is no other options. There's no sort of middle ground here, two options. So let's look at the first one, two roads. There's a wide or narrow road. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and broad, the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it, and how narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. Jesus is making an assumption with all of these two options that he puts up. He's making an assumption. Everyone is on a road. You don't get to decide, I'm just not going to go on the road. I'm just going to choose neither. He doesn't give the neutral as an option. Everyone is on a road. Everyone's life is on a path. Everyone has faith commitments. And I don't know if you've heard of this idea of Pascal's argument where um, he, he argues, Pascal argues that every person has a faith commitment. Because some people look at this and go, well, I don't want to, I just don't want to be a part of that conversation. Just count me out. But he says, you don't get the luxury of doing that. Everyone has faith commitments. There is no way in our lives that we, the the things that we derive meaning from, Christian or non-Christian, none of them are proven scientifically. None of them are um, in and of themselves absolute. Um, In the sense that you can say, this is absolutely right and there's no way you can deny it's not right. Everything takes a bit of faith. Even the the sense in which we find meaning through love and relationships with each other, even those things um, require faith and there's no way to prove that you love somebody. You can't do a test, you can't put it under a microscope and say, oh yeah, that's true. There is love and meaning there. Everything, um, everything we gain meaning and purpose from takes some faith. Everyone gambles their life or stakes their life on something. And Jesus says, everyone stakes their life either on the broad road, the wide road, or the narrow road. 
There's no neutral positions. Two roads, and they lead to two destinations. So the first option is the wide and broad road. Many people, and it leads to destruction. So the idea that it's wide and broad is easy to take. Easy to take, all-inclusive. Many, um, plenty of room for opinions. There's no real boundaries on morality and behaviour. Whatever you find to be true, that's fine on the, on the wide road. Many people, it seems popular and it offers no resistance. There's plenty of people walking arm in arm um, down that road together. But its destination is destructive. There is no eternity to follow and decisions um, that you take on that road last um, or will end in destruction. And so Jesus is giving clear warnings here through all these options. The second option is the narrow road. Difficult, he says, there's few people, it leads to life. And it's narrow because it would, he talks about the gate first. It's a narrow gate. It's a one-person gate. In John, I think it's 14, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so the idea here is that it's a one-person gate. You can't squeeze two people through. There's no option for another saviour. There is one saviour who occupies that gate. And it's only through him that you find life. There's only through him that you are on the road that he wants. There is not plenty of room for opinions. There is room for one, for Jesus. There is only room for surrender. You can't be led by multiple kings, but only one king. And it's difficult. It's difficult because it takes surrender, but I also think that Jesus says it's difficult because he knows that it's of what it's going to take him. There is a, a crucifixion coming up. It's a difficult road because it requires so much sacrifice, not only on our behalf of giving up our own lives, but for him to give up his life on the cross. And he gives up his life so that we might give up our lives as well. And it leads to life because the life creator is the gatekeeper. He not only creates life, he sustains it and has the continual supply of it. And only a few find it, Jesus says. And I think this is maybe a, a, the perception that Jesus is saying here, is that only a few find it. it. It seems as though everyone does their own thing, but only a few follow me. And of course, this is relative, um, in, in comparison to the population of, of the earth, many people are on this narrow road. Um, but many more, perhaps, are on the wide road, Jesus is saying. Many people are not willing to say, Jesus, you be the king of my life. They want to be their own king. They want to walk their own path. And with these options, and particularly with this one, some of us don't want them to be only two options. And the underlying motivation is what Jesus is really trying to get at through his whole sermon. Is that we want control of our own life. We don't want to surrender it to somebody else. I don't want to surrender my will, my desires, my sense of right and wrong to somebody else. I want to decide for myself what all those things are. I want to be the king of my own heart. I want to be the king of my own desires. But Jesus says... The only way to life is if you will surrender that kingship of yourself and allow me to be king of your life. Even back 
in Matthew 5 when he's beginning and talking about the law. And he's saying, don't, you've heard it said, don't murder. I, I say, don't hate. He's, he's getting at, I don't want just some sort of token gestures here. I don't want you, and in Matthew 6 when he's talking about prayer, I don't want you just to stand up and, and do a big babbling prayer. I don't want any token gestures. I want your heart. I want to be your king. I want you fully surrendered to me. Fully surrendered. He goes on and talks about the two teachers, the false or the true teacher. Be on guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. Talks about recognising them by their fruit. So the first option is the, the false teacher who's a wolf who looks like a sheep. So outwardly, they don't murder, they pray, they stand up and pray. Uh, they do all those things that Jesus was getting at in the first whole section of his um, sermon. Outwardly, they look great, but inwardly, their heart is not for me. Their heart is not um, in relationship with me the way it's supposed to be. And so, over time bad fruit will come. Diseased fruit will come. The second option is truth. And these people are sheep. And sometimes calling someone a sheep is an insult. Um, but in this sense, Jesus is encouraging us to be sheep. To say, follow the shepherd. Follow the good shepherd. Be someone who hears his voice and says, yep, I trust you, not me. My heart deceives me. You don't. You're a trustworthy. You're a good shepherd. And from that, good fruit comes. You know, fruit trees never lie. Um, we've just planted um, a lime tree yesterday, and I expect limes to come from it. Um, if not, I'm going to question whether it's really a lime tree. If it starts producing watermelons, or I don't know, that'd be a miracle, wouldn't it? <laughs> I don't think watermelons grow on trees. <clears throat> Someone can look that up. It'd be dangerous, yeah, that's right. Just checking you're listening. Um, I expect limes to come from it. And if something else comes from it, I'm going to be thinking, hmm, it's not a lime tree. I'm not going to be thinking, oh, maybe it's a lime tree, maybe it's just confused. Maybe it's just, maybe it just needs a bit of encouragement. No, it's, it's not a lime tree. And what, this is what Jesus is saying here. There are people who look like they are fruit trees. They look like they are sheep. They're dressed up as sheep. Outwardly, you might look at them from a distance and go, huh, Christian, true teacher. But as you get to know them, and perhaps even as we get to know ourselves, we understand that, oh, maybe, maybe the fruit that I'm not seeing or the bad fruit that's coming from my life or the bad fruit that I'm seeing in this person's life is showing me something. So what's the fruit that Jesus is talking about? He doesn't really say, he just says good fruit, bad fruit. You can read uh, a lot of the New Testament and Jesus talks about fruit a lot. He talks about, uh, uh, Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, which I think is relevant. Uh, Jesus talks about fruit as in uh, spreading the gospel and seeing people come to him and, and making disciples. That's fruit in Jesus' eyes. Fruit is also to do with our character, who we are. It would seem... 
um, that so far Jesus has talked about the fruit of a believer's life as somewhat unseen. In the context of the Sermon on the Mount, it's the heart attitudes, it's the prayer life, it's the ability to love and forgive, to not judge. But as we go on, we also see fruit to mean other things that come from our life as well, that invite people into the kingdom, the joy and the peace in Galatians 5 that Paul talks about, the things that rub off a person when you interact with them. So be careful, Jesus says. Some will be false. They will preach a broad road theology. That Jesus isn't the only way. He's just a way. Whatever works for you, they might say. They won't have surrendered humble hearts, but will set themselves over others as well. He just says, be on your guard. Be careful. Be careful what I say. Listen with the intent to test it against Scripture. Don't ever listen to someone who's preaching and say, well, it must be true because the preacher said it. We all have our own responsibility with God's Word to discern what Jesus is really saying is true. He goes on, the two teachers and the two ways, the next little section, are, are, are intertwined. Because first he's talking about be careful about others, but then he's also reflecting it back on our own lives as well. Because he goes on and he says, um, the two ways, I've called this lip service or life service. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only one who does the will of my Father. On that day, many will say, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we say things, drive out demons, do many miracles? Then I'll announce, I never knew you. Depart from me, your lawbreakers. When you read this couple of verses, it can put fear in your heart. It's like, and is that me? Like, I've, called, I've said, Lord, Lord, but I've never driven out a demon. It's like, I'm not even that good. How can I be better than that? Like, it seems like he's setting us up to be, this is sort of like the, this is below minimum standard for what it means to be a Christian. But you've got to be careful of, what he's saying and how he's saying it together with all the things around it. He's talking about people who get up and say, oh, I've never murdered someone. I get up and babble and pray. Lord, Lord, you know. They've even done so much to help others. But Jesus is saying it's not about ticking the boxes. It's not about getting up and just speaking things that make you sound and look like the right kind of person. It's about having the heart after me. I never knew you. Jesus wants to know us. I came across this little poem, not really into poetry, but I came across this poem as I was preparing and I thought it might help someone. Uh, but it says this, The soul is measured by its flights, some low and others high. The heart is known by its delights and pleasures never lie. Pleasures never lie. One commentator said this in regards to this poem. He said, pleasures are the whistleblower of the heart. And I think this is what Jesus' whole sermon is trying to get at. Is what do you ultimately pleasure your life from? What do you ultimately get your desires? Where, where, where is your life staked on? 
Is it staked on just some sort of um, ability to do certain things, to look a certain way, to come to church and sit in a pew and raise your hand at the right moment and shake someone's hand and say, yeah, I was here, I was at church. Put money in the offering. Serve on a team. Or has God, has Jesus arrested your heart? And when confronted with truth, do you defend yourself and say, nah, 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 I'm all good. I'm all good. Or are you humble and surrendered to say, Jesus, you teach me. I think ultimately this is the test to see whether you are in one camp or another. When confronted with truth, are you someone who defends or are you someone who says, teach me God? Where do I need to, to change? What do I need to change? Because the hypocrite, the scribe, the, the person that Jesus is rebuking here, says that they're just giving lip service. Is someone who's not correctable. I think it's in 1 Corinthians, uh, did I write down? 1 Corinthians 5. Paul talks about correcting others and, and bringing about um, discipline on a, on a believer's life when they're not doing the right thing. And the, the heart or the, the hope is that repentance and salvation would come to that person. And so whenever we're faced with something we see in Scripture that we don't like, the person who's just giving lip service will say, no, no, I'm I'm good. But the person whose heart is for God is, Jesus, help me understand this. Help me live this. Help me love this. They don't set themselves up against what they don't like, but they embrace whatever Jesus is saying. And they surrender and they're humble. Jesus is not after what you can do, but he's after who you are. He doesn't care if you can just keep the law and not murder. He wants to see you manifest the kingdom by not hating. He's after what's inside, not what is just spoken. What's spoken is important as well. I mean, we need to call Jesus Lord. We need to be praying for people. We need to be helping people. It's not that those things are bad, but they're not it. They're not it. Jesus is after every part of us. Don't just say Lord, but live like he isn't your Lord. Listen to his words, come near and share your concerns, know him because he knows you. The person who is saved, the person who is on this narrow road, whose life is on the rock, who is not a false teacher, is the one who is surrendered to the will of the Father, not yourself. Notice that Jesus says there, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father. Whose will are you living out? Your own or God's? Are you quick to repent, willing to be wrong? There's no third option. There's no fence straddling. And finally, he brings this down to two foundations, sand or rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Rains fall, rivers rise, the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it didn't collapse. The rain, the the house built on sand did collapse. First option, there's a house on sand, I'm putting them around the other way, and house on rock is the second second option. I came across this video earlier this year and I saved it in my um, files, because this is a house on a beach 
literally built on sand and the waves come and the house. But what I want you to notice is that it is still a house. (laughs) Before the wave comes, before the winds blow, a house built on sand and a house built on rock really don't look much different. In fact, you could put the same house on rock and the same house on sand. And this goes back to the idea that Jesus was saying in the narrow and the wide road. Everyone's on a road. Everyone has a house. Your life is, is full of life. There is great things in your life. There's not so great things in your life. Everyone has a life. What's in your life is irrelevant. What's important about your life is what it's built on. Both have a house. Both have a life, apparently. There is no difference in the quality of the house. In fact, that house that you see, I want a, I want a builder who can build a house like that. It didn't even fall apart. It was just floating in the, in the ocean. <clears throat> but when the time comes, the, the foundation of the life is exposed. When hard times come, the foundation of the life is exposed. What holds it up is exposed as either able or unable. What is unable to hold your life up? What are some of the sands that we build our life on? Some of the sands we build our life on are people. Maybe our spouse, maybe our family, maybe people um, that we look up to. Maybe it's a career. Money or status. I don't know if this is ringing any bells to previous weeks of what Jesus has been warning against. This is the sand that he's talking about. He's been talking about it already. All these things can wash away. They are changeable. People can walk out and fail you. Careers can come undone. Money can be lost. Status can wither. But Jesus, he doesn't fail. He doesn't change. He doesn't come undone. He has never lost and he doesn't wither. He stands the test of time. He is faithful, true. He is everything we need and could ever need. A house that's built on sand is a house that is content within itself. It's built with the belief that its life is enough. A house built on rock is a house still built, but it's totally dependent on something else for its strength for its salvation. Jesus, in his concluding remarks on the Sermon on the Mount, is not intending to scare us, to make us question our faith or question our salvation, but rather assure us that as we build our life on him, it is strong. It will stand the test of time. He is faithful to save. When the hard times come, When the temptations come, he wants our heart. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority, not like their scribes. I'm going to invite the band back up and we're going to sing. And I want you to ponder this question. Is Jesus the king of your life? Does he have authority 
and you surrender to his will. And I'm not asking this in a way, are you saved? Maybe that's for you to, to answer that question. But rather, do you need to surrender afresh this morning, your own wills, your own desires, and say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I want you to be my king. I want to fully surrender to you. When Jesus has authority, it changes everything, right down to our heart and motivations. He's not after a slice of our life or some sort of dictatorship in our behaviours. He's after everything because he loves us. He loves us so much that he was willing to die on the cross for every time we fail. He's not a king. He's not just a king. He's a saviour as well. He knows that we'll fail. He knows that it'll be, there'll be times in our life and seasons in our life where it's just words, it's no heart. He knows there'll be times where we find ourselves on a wide road and he lovingly takes us back to the narrow one. Or when we build our life on something it shouldn't be built on, he reminds us that he is the source of our salvation. And so wherever you find yourself this morning, the invitation is to come back under the kingship of Jesus, to allow him to rule and to love and to guide every part of your life. Can we stand together and pray? And as I'm praying, if, if I'm talking about where you're at this morning, I just want you to lift your hands in surrender. There's no shame in saying, God, be my king. Lord Jesus, as we come before you again this morning, we recognize that you are king, that you speak with one who has authority, because Jesus, you do. You spoke the earth, the world, the universe, the stars into existence. And Jesus, we allow you to speak truth into our own hearts this morning. God, our desire is not to defend ourselves, but to surrender ourselves before you. So God, would you again be the king of our life? We surrender afresh to you this morning. God, with that great promise that when the hard times come, you sustain us, you hold us up. Our life won't crash because you'll never fail. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. We surrender again to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Holy Spirit, we pray that you'd fill us again. God, fill us with your power, fill us with your love. Fill us with the heart to follow Jesus and to speak of Him, to help people see His goodness, His glory, His majesty. God, would you help us to be authentic in our faith? God, we don't want to give you just lip service, but we want to give you our life's service, every part of us. God, would you move amongst us 
transform our own hearts, change our own motivations to be in line with yours and the kingdoms. So God, we can go out from this place and reflect you. So people, when they see us, would see the love and the grace that you've poured into our own lives. God, that we'd be that city on a hill, the light of the world, drawing people to the safety of relationship with you. God, we thank you that you give us life-giving words. And you give us hope and joy no matter the season. God, we stake our life on you. We build our life on you. God, we thank you so much for all that you're doing in our hearts, all that you're doing amongst us, this church and this region. And God, we pray that you would go out this week, lead us, guide us, Give us boldness and courage in every conversation, in every season. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Um, Stick around and have some tea and coffee. If you're online, great to have you with us this morning. We'll see you again next Sunday.